This is the next show. This is Todd. I'm here with K Doug, and this is actually the very first show of our sixth season, which is amazing. Um, as we've been documenting the music in and around Anacortes, and uh, really, really excited about what we have going on tonight. I've been talking on and off with uh, Mr. Phil Elvrum for a long time and between his own schedule and his own life and his own things he has going on um it's taken a minute to get us all together but it couldn't have happened in a better way than getting you here to help us kick off uh season six so thanks for coming in phil thanks thanks for having me hello absolutely um what we are gonna do tonight is catch up on things find out what's happening in the world of phil and hear music we're gonna do a little heavier on the talking side still with music in the first half in the second half um phil's gonna play his new album which is microphones in 2020 which is uh first of all it's amazing but uh secondly it's one long song true yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) I know we're going to do that at the end, but what? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot like an interview. The song is a. Sometimes I think of it as a podcast (laughs) or an audio book because it's rambling and takes forever. Closer, okay. You trying um, to you trying to say something about the way we do this show? No, but (laughs) I'm just yeah. I don't know what to call my new thing. Is I guess what I'm saying. New song, new album, new audio book, new. um, uh, interview without any questions being asked. <laughs> Probably a nice way to control the uh, the the conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You've been. Um, the, you, well, look, I wasn't going to start here, but we're going to start here. Like you've been um, a pitchfork favorite. You've done a you you get a lot of bigger press than you know a, a lot of the compatriots around and that I'm not saying anything about anybody one way or the other. It's just a fact. And, but you don't really, uh, you're not able to set the terms of what they feel like discussing, right? You mean like getting coverage in on pitchfork, for example, I don't get to say what they think about me. You know, I'm thinking of some of the bigger uh, Rolling Stone or, Uh uh, you know, Vanity Fair or these Uh big ones. Uh, I know you get lots of, coverage and sort of the rags on each place that you go to also mm-hmm. you know yeah no they don't like run it past me before they go to press if that's what you're asking no 
no, it's always a surprise to me. But um, but also, I have noticed over the years how common it is to, for uh, a lot of places, will just kind of copy and paste your press release. Oh. Uh, not necessarily like larger journalistic pieces, mm-hmm. but you do kind of get to control how your work gets framed if you write a compelling statement about it, that can help a lot. I've noticed over the years. I used to be really stressed out about like, ah, oh, they misunderstood me, or they said this, and that. that's not what I was going for. But um, I, I don't pay attention or care. Right. And also, if I just make a clear statement, then that's all I can do. So hope that it like stands on its own. Yeah. When, um, when you are getting uh well let me ask it this way i think of you as kind of a controlling person in terms of <laughs> <laughs> whoa hey, hard hitting questions yeah we're going right for it <laughs> um but you know you you can look at your output you control every part of that um can you hear uh you control every part of that it's and, true yeah um, I, you mean so the, do you like control I, the press release too? Is kind of where I'm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You I, write it yourself. I mean, usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lately, I've even maybe like five years ago, I sort of shifted to writing in the first person and just uh, giving up on the idea that I was that there was like an objective voice, like a professional sounding journalistic voice, and I started uh, just saying like, "Hi, it's me, Phil." I uh, Here's what I was going for with this thing, and letting go of the illusion of uh, objectivity, if that makes any sense. But yeah, anyway, I, I I like to be involved with all the aspects of it. Control. You could say I'm controlling, or you could say I'm part of a DIY tradition. <laughs> yes. Well, definitely. I didn't say it in the most charitable way, but I. I'm just teasing. Definitely. Uh, let's do this. I've got something going on that's got me distracted for a moment. Can we play? I want to yeah. introduce this with this, though. I don't know if this is for sure true, because, you know, fake news. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Sorry. Um, I did read in some interview I was reading where somebody asked you uh, to describe your style, and you answered them sort of like, uh, uh, what I wrote this down. You can easily find out what my music sounds like, so I'm not going to describe it. <laughs> I don't... I mean, yeah, I maybe said that. <laughs> I, don't I like the way it, it fits with uh, with what I think is also part of the aesthetic, which I think of as truth-telling and kind of direct. Um, and so in that vein, let's play a song, <laughs> okay. and we're going to come right back.
okay. <laughs> that song was called Teenage Mustache. It's my most embarrassing song. It's from uh, 96 or so, 97. Okay. 1990, you know, ni- 19- back in the 1900s. Way back then, yeah, yeah, it was I recorded it on a four track at Brett and Denise's house. It was by the I was house sitting for them when um I worked at the business and yeah, I was re- working at the business writing a song about the uh, like customers that were like one year younger than me but seemed so much younger <laughs> teenage mustache so there it's talking about like you've never been to Compton you, you've given me dirty looks treat me like a piece of crap like the power dynamic of me being a clerk at the CD store and these kids that were really into um, I think Snoop Dogg was really big then hip hop yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Dre, The Chronic was a big seller. But then also like Green Day, Dookie. Yeah. And and yeah, just this small town, mm-hmm. walking up and down commercial all day, every day, and um, hanging out. And I was one of them. I just felt like I was writing this. I don't know. It's weird to analyze this song. It's one of my earliest ones that has been released, at least. Were you in high school still at that moment? Or? I can't remember exactly what year. It was either like a senior or a junior, maybe. But you started at the business helping out and making your zine and such there Yeah, in high school. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think I must have been like 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Started hanging out there with Brandon and Nick and Jeremy and yeah and eventually Brett was like you guys want a job maybe <laughs> since you're here all the time yeah since you're here like clogging up the aisles <laughs> and or maybe we asked for a job and he said no enough times I can't remember who asked first but so it was like life changing to have a job there at the best possible place. I worked in the dark room. Okay. And then I worked a little bit in the cafe. And then that's how music started. I, he encouraged us to set up a little studio in the back and using it after hours. And that's where these first recordings started happening. So when you gravitated there, was, um, you know, would you say that you were already sort of looking up to Brett, if yeah. I can put it that definitely. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the um, thing was mm-hmm. happening and we were, I don't know, 13, 14. Yeah. Like just the ripe age for being swept away by like pictures of Nirvana on the cover of Rolling Stone and being like, what is this? And then (laughs) following that back to a more local level to be like, oh, well, Nirvana has connections to this thing and they have connections to this thing and figuring out like a sub pop, K Records, whoa, the Beat Happening. Did you know that the guy from Beat Happening actually lives in Anacortes and like works at the records? And (laughs) yeah, that's sort of how it all came. I think we saw the famous sub pop loser shirts Mm -hmm. on um, Eddie Vedder on Saturday Night Live. And then we noticed that they were selling them at the business. And it was like, that's the shirt that the guy from Pearl Jam had on TV. What is that weird place that sells romance novels and like <laughs> cat food? <laughs> um, you could see a little yeah. video of Phil actually somewhere. If you dig just a tiny bit on YouTube, I know there's a video from you from sort of around that time period? Yeah, I didn't remember that this happened, but we got interviewed by uh, MTV News 
me and Brandon and Jeremy when we went to see Nirvana uh, on the Nevermind tour. And it didn't get aired, but somehow somebody had the footage and they uploaded it a few years ago. And uh, yeah, I didn't actually even have a memory of being approached by somebody with a camera and a microphone, but there we were. What do you think of Nirvana's success? And I was wearing a gravel shirt, which I... You were? Yeah, even back then I remember being proud to like represent my local band. Oh, that's that's really cool. And were you, so um, I mentioned this right before we came on, but uh, you had been making music a little bit already prior, right? Because of Newbert Circus and... Yeah. Yeah, Newbert Circus was the first band I was in. I played the drums and uh, I forget how long we were a band, but <laughs> maybe it was like one year, maybe it was two years, I don't know. And then that sort of became Tugboat which was Brandon and James and I, and we all traded instruments around at that point. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, I always wanted to do more stuff. I, I wanted to, I had ideas to do all kinds of stuff. It was, uh, so yeah, Tugboat was a fixture for a while. We played at the Teen Center okay. a lot okay. and recorded and played at the business all the time. When you say you wanted to do stuff, are you talking within the lane of music? Or yeah. Were you, okay. Well, everything. I, I think being at the business, like working, s- selling CDs to young people, and then also being a fan of music and f- buying the CDs. And then also Brett had this Know Your Own label and encouraged us to be like, make a thing. Like, make uh, a release, and you can put the Know Your Own name on it and uh, sell it at the store or distribute it however you want to. He sort of like held our hand through right. making zines, making tapes, and and sort of inching. Back then, it was kind of hard to make a CD. It was rare to mm-hmm. know someone that had a CD burner. <laughs> but um, yeah, making a CD was a little bit beyond our means. But our, we made cassettes of the first few uh, Newbert Circus, the Newbert Circus tape, a couple of tugboat tapes. And then I started making my own music that was what the microphones was was just yeah let's just me let's talk about that maybe if you want to pull uh, an early microphones track up yeah well that's what that thing is i just played but i got another one that was uh, under that moniker yeah that was on one of the first microphone actually no that was never released until a couple of years ago i did a lp of like collection a collected selections from the early stuff but that one actually never was released but yeah on the first microphones tape there was a song called microphone really into just self-referential literal (laughs) (laughs) on the album microphone by the microphones this is the track microphone
like that track actually it's a silly one that's kind of fun was the uh who's that's bronwyn singing oh okay that's right yeah that was your high school girlfriend yep yeah um don't let me skip over but i think so you graduate high school Mm -hmm. you guys went on a big trip is that that's true yeah we i stayed in anacortes for an extra year after high school but before moving to olympia gap year before such a thing exactly yeah Gap year, we drove across Canada, her and I, not on tour, but effectively it was a tour. I just didn't play any shows. <laughs> I just really loved driving around, and uh, I was obsessed with this band called Eric's Trip from Moncton, New Brunswick. Yeah. Still am. And kind of, it was like a pilgrimage, kind of. Is the band Eric's Trip named after the Sonic Youth song? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep, Eric's trip is named after a Sonic Youth song. That was the question from the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are all socially distanced, and sorry, nobody can be here. And by the way, let me just say, we are at Johnny Picasso's, um, and I want to say thank you to John for letting us come in and use his place. I bought. I came in here earlier today and got a breakfast sandwich. You should come in here and buy stuff. People need your support right now, so do that. They got paninis, salads, wraps, breakfast burritos, breakfast sandwiches. That's right. And don't forget also that Bandcamp First Friday buy stuff. If you hear something tonight you want, which you're going to, there's so much stuff. If you go look at P.W. Elvram and Son, which is uh, the record label that Phil started when you left K? Uh, Yeah, 2004. Was there overlap in it? Had you done? Yeah, there's some overlap a little bit, but yeah. Okay. Basically. Anyway, there's so much music. He's been uh, really, really prolific, and we're going to. Well, we're going to keep going. But um, did you take, were you, so you'd been playing, you were, Tugboat was a thing, et cetera, but you went on this trip not not playing. No, it wasn't a musical trip. It was just a road trip. Was Julie in that? Julie, yeah, Julie Duran was in Eric's trip. And then uh, she also had a sort of developing solo career right around then. And whenever they would come anywhere near here, we would come. Actually, when I was in high school, I tried. I came really close to getting Julie to play at the business, um, or no, that was '97. Anyway, not to get too yeah yeah too granular here, but um, we're in Anacortes, and yeah. that's where all these details are. 
I didn't get Julie and the Wooden Stars to play at the business because they got an offer to play at a restaurant in Port Townsend. And they probably, the offer was like $75. And my offer at the business was zero. So (laughs) um, maybe a tent in the backyard. So I took a ferry over and it was the only like intentional audience member at the Port Townsend show. I remember it was a restaurant. (laughs) People were eating dinner and my favorite band in the world was playing there. And yeah, it was amazing. An amazing experience. Just sat in front of them, like the only person for this incredible show. Oh man. And then you went on much later to record together, right? Yeah. Yeah. We sort of, um, at once I started playing more shows by myself and I kept, I, loved her and I would always try and play with her and get we would get put on bills together and she's so friendly and open and uh, we just became friends. Yeah. And then she was passing through Anacortes one day in 2008 and she had a couple of days off and she's like, well, I, I invited her and Fred to come stay. We're jumping ahead to 2008. We're going yeah. to jump around. In fact, we should try to Maybe anyway, maybe we can pull a track up sure, on yeah. one of those. But yeah, this we, is the lost wisdom yeah, recordings. Right. We recorded an album together on a whim, unplanned in two thousand eight when her and Fred were passing through on tour and I had a studio space in the Fisherman's World Market building. Fisherman's World's market. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Say that three times fast. And uh I forget what number. It was awesome. We recorded it with one microphone, mostly just one take. The three of us in the room nailed it. Um, Here's a song. Oops. I'm starting it. Ready? Okay, here it goes. As good as I could possibly imagine my life getting it did after I met you. Reached inside my chest and pulled out things and sent them off and breaths blew And as good as it got with all the layers peeling off And though I writhed, I could not upset you With your hand down my throat, you held on to my heart and pumped blood through And then it's time to go, you said it's time to go out, you little gray goose Your song. Yeah, they're all my songs that I just sort of uh, had unrecorded, ready to go when Julie and Fred rolled through. I think I wrote two of the songs that day (laughs) because we didn't quite have enough for an album. So I just (laughs) real quick wrote a couple of songs. And had you uh, pictured them having, say, even a female voice or a co-vocalist? I always wanted to sing. Well, first of all, I wish that my voice wasn't my voice. Like if I had a beautiful female voice, I would be much happier as a singer. It's just what I want to listen to. 
but I have this voice. And so, yeah, the opportunity, I guess I already played that song that Bronwyn sang. I've, I've always yes. been into having other people sing or like manifesting my ideas. It feels luxurious to get to have people that will collaborate with me in that way. Who's Fred that you mentioned? Fred Squire. Yeah, he plays guitar on that album, electric okay. guitar. He was Julie's boyfriend. It was They were touring together at the time. Gotcha, okay. And then just to tie this together, that's 2008, and then yeah. uh, not so long, well, last last year was yeah, when you we released recorded Part 2? Part 2, similar thing, although that one was more deliberate. And yeah, we had always talked about, let's make another record together. But that one was like, Julie, come back. Uh, you know, book a plane ticket. We set this week aside. It was less impromptu. I wrote the song specifically for our two voices okay. with like intertwining vocal parts. And yeah. And we're talking about, I don't know if it'll be Lost Wisdom Part 3, but yeah, we're going to keep working together. Oh, that's really cool. I want to little... make very loud music with her next. La- loud? Yeah, loud. Because Eric's trip, they were like crazy, cacophonous, feedbacky. Oh. Distorted, and she was the bass player, like an amazing distorted bass player, drone and shredding. That seems so fun to me to do with beautiful singing inside, like my bloody Valentine kind of. Oh. Anyway, that's what I'm imagining. Okay. So, um, a little side for you is that I have a bunch of her records called "So Many Days" mm-hmm. in my warehouse. We just happened to distribute a oh, yeah. label that she recorded for at one right, point. Yeah. So, I remember kind of smiling when I sort of. Put those things together. Yeah. Those things that um, okay. To kind of now, I'll jump back to kind of where we were. So we were. You're on that trip. You come back home, mm-hmm. and do you motivate down to Olympia fairly quickly, or what happens? That well, in, yeah. So interestingly, that show that I went to Port Townsend to see Julie Julie Duaron was the night before we were going to leave on my first tour I ever went on, which was with D+, Plus, which was oh. Brett and Carl. Yeah. Brett Lunsford, Carl Blau. Uh, yeah, and that was also the first like week that I was supposed to start at Evergreen. So that was the year after I had taken, after my gap year, that would have been September of 97. And yeah, so I went to see Julie Duran and the Wooden Stars, ran down to the boat in Port Townsend to catch the last ferry back literally jumped off of the ramp really? yeah <laughs> as it was lifting up and um that's a good scene yeah and and then got to my car drove home it was all packed up to leave for our cross-country tour opening for dub narcotic sound system the next morning totally just everything was like life-changing one thing after another and then going on tour playing these amazing shows opening for dub narcotic who were pretty popular at the time they seemed like mega stars to me although now that I look back, we were playing to 70 kids in a college cafeteria, but to me, yeah. that was huge. And fair but just to the say, the bi- uh, not to interrupt you, sorry, but is it fair to say the biggest shows you had played so far? Even? For sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah. And one night after, and we were just the opening band and Brett always let Carl and I, or like made us, let us, encouraged us <laughs> to um, play two of our own songs during the D plus set. He oh, wow. treated the little D-plus portion of the night as like a little mini festival of Anacortes music, of offerings. Wow, that's so... He, 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 he real has booster. been very consistent. Town booster, yeah, totally. 
That's that's really awesome. Wow. And I think we even probably had with us, I don't know if it was that tour or subsequent tours, but we would bring freebies, basically, of Anacortis music, CDs. Um, I remember leaving, gra- like giving people gravel seven inches at the merch table just for free, free with any purchase. Oh, that's cool. Um, was it the yellow one? Yes, Pissing in a River. <laughs> I think we had a lot of extra ones of those, I guess. Yeah, you might I, get one at the next Yule Bazaar. It's that we a could... good seven inches. The thing, it's not trash. But um, anyway, the here's we, a question for you. Oh no, please go ahead. Well, just that that all those things happen all at once. Like the, my first tour, and then I went immediately from that to my first classes at Evergreen, and the juxtaposition of those two experiences was really powerful. And I think I realized I don't want this. I'm done being in school I, I it's possible to just travel around and play music and sleep on floors and record and write your own music and you know just it was um, I knew what I wanted to do and I was like actually already doing it right so yeah. and then I was because I had taken a year off I was a year older than a lot of the other people in my first year evergreen class and mm-hmm. they seemed like babies to me <laughs> another teenage mustache situation <laughs> kind of yeah well, that one year difference yeah so had, had yeah. you, you know, there's a little bit of lore and, you know, I don't know how close it may be to truth or not, but of, you know, you kind of like secluding yourself into the, into the studio and experimenting with things and, and finding sounds. And, um, is that, you know, at least relatively speaking, what your time at the business was so that yeah. by the time you got into a classroom again? That, that would partially be informing what your attitude was. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's true. That, and yeah, I was obsessed with recording and um, I stayed late after working at the business pre- pretty much every night, especially that year after high school where it wasn't a school night anymore and right. I could just stay up late and make this weird stuff and buy an old organ at Kiwanis and take a sledgehammer to it and rewire it and just like all these wild experiments it was um, sobering to go to Evergreen and sign up to a recording class where they're like, never sledgehammer an organ or solder <laughs> anything. To, you know, I had already um, broken down these barriers that I think were really freeing. Mm-hmm. And plus, moving to Olympia, I had access to this other studio outside of Evergreen, Dub Narcotic right. Studio. And so I didn't, yeah, it just, I was already like participating in this alternative world. So let's go down that that path a little bit. So that's uh, that was K Records. That was Calvin's. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, Brett encouraged me. I was like, I th- I want to record. I that's all I want to do is be a producer or whatever. I want to record music, my own and other people's. And Brett encouraged me to ask Calvin if I could be his apprentice. Which is, I like how old fashioned that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. I called Kay, and I, I didn't know Calvin, really. And I asked him if I could be his apprentice, and he was like, oh, what? Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. And then I moved to Olympia, ostensibly to go to Evergreen, but um, Calvin just gave me a key to the studio, and that was pretty much it. That was wow. the apprenticeship. It was mm-hmm. like, figure it out. <laughs> so that's really an interesting um, parallel when you think about what you had here in Anacortes and the access you had to 
to that space to kind of do what you wanted when you wanted totally, and then to yeah. go there and just sort of have the same thing in a different place. Yeah. I feel so fortunate to have these people in my life who not just looked out for me, but like had this, this spirit of, um, I don't know, fostering creativity in their mm-hmm. community in such a generous way. It's saintly. How long did it take until you had, <clears throat> I don't know the right word, I want to say contributed uh, to to a recording uh, down there or to a K release or, you know, how, how long was it until you had your name on a on a record it wasn't just you being able to go in there and apprentice and do your own thing but either it was yours or you would produce someone or you would that was before i moved to olympia actually we had already well yeah tugboat we went down and recorded our second tape at yo-yo studios in olympia so that kind of counts that was early that was like 96 i guess and or 97 yeah and D plus that band Brett yep. and and Carl we had gone down before moving to Olympia and recorded at Dub Narcotic and so yeah it was but it you was, were I'm asking not telling you were a musician on that one or you were would you call yourself a producer was that like oh a, uh, yeah I guess I was more of a musician but you know it's in this in this do it yourself yeah. world it's all so loose. Okay. But yeah, Calvin recorded us. Calvin okay. produced it, and we all had ideas and p- played different instruments in Calvin's so basement. Just to, I'm going to just dig on this one more time. So, um, but I'm really thinking now about this time period. Now you are in Olympia. Now you are part of this dub narcotic mm-hmm. thing, and you have a certain role. Mm-hmm. And then, is it fairly quickly that perhaps you are? helping someone else record oh. their album, you know? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, n- no, I was mostly working on my own projects. Okay. And then, yeah, then I started working with Mira, who w- was just like me, just a friend. It was, it was all very informal. Like, there was no money. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there was no money coming in or going out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was... Just uh, an, a room. We called it the big room. By that point, the studio had moved from Calvin's basement to this big kind of warehouse space. Okay. And it was this big space that was available. Kayla had her like painting studio set up in the corner. Bruce Pavitt stored a bunch of wicker chairs in the other corners. There's a <laughs> bunch of broken mopeds over here. There was just like a big space to get to use for whatever people had going on. There's okay. like a half pipe in there for a while. Oh man, that sounds right. <laughs> and this is before like the synagogue or church that it Right. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know the years exactly. Well, yeah, the years were probably like 97 in the big starting in 97 in the big room because mm-hmm. Halo Benders Rebels Not In was the first album they recorded there. Okay. Got this catalog brain for some reason. Yeah. And then <laughs> I left Olympia in 2002 and they probably moved out of the big room and 2005 or something, six. Okay. I want you to pick a song that might uh, be around this time, but I'm also going to ask you a question as you're getting there. Okay. Um, can you tell me what the track house is? The track house is the house. I Well, I lived in a few houses in Olympia, but the track house was the best one. And it's like <laughs> a block away from that studio warehouse building. Mm-hmm. 
it's still there apparently I haven't been there in a long time and it's um do you swear on this show yeah it's shitty fuck yeah yeah it, it's shitty in the best way it was very cheap rent and yeah. you know like raccoons what lived in the house with you <laughs> what are you serious about that yes and there's like standing water under the floor it's notoriously sketchy but somehow it's just like idyllic uh-huh. For me, not because of its sketchiness, because it, I also lived in this other sketchy house, the House of Doom, which was <laughs> fucked up, and and it burned down later in like a crazy party, uh, and it funny. was like legitimately haunted, and there were rats everywhere. It was like also cheap and sketchy, but in a horrible way. Okay. So somehow the track house was just magical. With great people living there, the most productive time. Also, yeah, a block from the studio it yeah. was perfect. So you could zip, and we're a bunch of your. K Records compatriots or your creative community where they all we all kind of lived in that populated? downtown bubble. Yeah. Um, okay. And I, th- I was the only one with a car. I had this station wagon that everyone borrowed. Yeah. And but mostly we just walked around and usually we're eating dinner with at somebody else's house and very utopian and idyllic. Let's see. Hmm. I know it's a little difficult with how much music you have probably to be put on the spot to pick one now you asked for a song that well I'm just going to play the first song on the glow part too oh perfect okay it's going to play right now
talk about that album a little bit um my perspective is that that album changed things for you as an artist um yes or or as a draw perhaps i should put it that way i Uh, think that that is a common perspective but no it it didn't change things for me i was it was 2001 that came out and it was it received acclaim I guess but I was tuned out I I wasn't yeah I was living in this like utopian Olympia bubble where nobody had a TV or a car or a computer or a cell phone and so um, I didn't know that it had received acclaim and I was playing these weird all ages shows and sleeping on floors like yeah it didn't change for me in a healthy way I think right maybe gradually but no I, I wasn't pursuing a music career in the way where I would have noticed that type of thing. I didn't have a booking agent and I, I wasn't like positioned to take advantage of favorable reviews. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm glad for that. So really that's a thing you learned sort of afterwards. Yeah. People were like, congratulations, album of the year on pitchfork. And I was like, what's pitchfork? (laughs) I (laughs) truly didn't know. And uh, <laughs> over the years since then, which is like 19 years, which is crazy, wow. uh, it has maybe it it hasn't stopped being popular or uh, talked about in that way, which is weird. It's strange to witness that process. Something going from like in the moment, new, and just like I wrote this song, I'm engaged with this, to it uh, getting this other kind of abstract status in other people's eyes I still can't relate to it to me it's just like I remember writing that song yeah I don't feel that way anymore yeah oh it sounds interesting yeah cool I like that part but it's like no big deal um I don't know how to relate to the the lore of it or whatever that's really interesting I'll I'll tell you just a little anecdotal thing that's kind of cool we moved up here in September 2001, mm. and that's when it came out. Um, big, big month. Yeah, big month. <laughs> we actually got our house funded on the 11th. So Whoa, crazy! That was 
I'll always remember that. But anyway, um, so I don't know, later that year, I guess around the time the high school year ends, mm-hmm. my younger brother was, I believe he was a senior. He was either junior or senior down in Houston. And we were down there and we're looking through his yearbook and someone had put, you know, how you put your thing in a couple quotes or whatever, and someone had quoted your mm. uh, you. Mm. And, you know, for Jana and I, we certainly didn't know you or anything yet. And uh, it was just kind of like, oh, I think that dude lives in our, you know, <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. like your comment about Brett earlier. It was kind of uh-huh. like, oh, I think that guy lives somewhere uh-huh. around us, you yeah. know. Why did why do they like him down here? I don't mean it that way, but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> yeah. this high school kid down here know him, so yeah, yeah. That's kind of a little a little trivia for you there. Yeah, I remember I remember that time and hearing things like that. Like, oh, you're never gonna believe this, but my aunt's uh, receptionist at, at their clinic has a son who has heard of your music. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, because I was just was always on tour. I was like, yeah. loved traveling and tried to be on tour or recording constantly. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't surprising to me because, yeah, like, yeah, I was just in Wilmington, Delaware, or whatever. Right. <laughs> so right. So you were working hard while not necessarily, um, you know, as you mentioned a minute ago, you didn't have a booking agent. You weren't necessarily trying to make career path, but you wanted to do music. You were doing music, and part of doing that is going and doing it. Yeah, I was making a career path, but just on my own strange terms. Like, I didn't like the idea of having a booking agent because I wanted to play a certain type of shows. I wanted to play all-ages shows, and I wanted to, yeah. I just, I was pursuing a career, but I was also maybe kind of inventing a career, I think, in some ways. So the next release is Mount Erie. Yeah, yeah, I made a record called Mount Erie by the microphones, but um, yeah, it's a weird one. And and during that time, was that all recorded there? Because during the middle of that, that's 2003, but mm-hmm. you left Olympia in 2002. Yeah, I recorded Mount Erie in 2002 at, at Dub Narcotic, um, and I finished it, but it takes a long time for the thing to come out after you make sure. it. So I, I moved out basically right as I was finishing it. I moved out of the track house and uh, moved into my truck. I lived in the back of my Toyota pickup for kind of for kind of a year, mostly because at my parents' house. you were just house. Gonna tour and tour and tour and tour. That yeah, tour, thought. and then also just being at like uh, the beach and uh, campgrounds and. Yeah, very just out there in the world. Friends' houses, neighborhoods. I loved it. It was wonderful. I made like a little bookshelf on the back and oh, nice. curtains and it was great. And then also I went to Europe right after that and lived in Norway for a winter. Right. Let's talk about that for a second. And I think Mount Erie came out while I was in Norway. So I think sometimes people, it's a little confusing like, oh, did you record it there in Norway or... But no, I had recorded it in Olympia before I left. And so what was the, I mean, aside from the adventurous portion of you're already super nomadic, here's a great place to go to. I don't know if it, if there was a reason that you picked Norway, first of all. Yeah. 
I had never been there, but uh, the, the way I talked about it was like, I'm moving there forever. Goodbye, everyone. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't know what it was like or like uh, how I was going to pull it off, but that was the plan. Okay. Uh, and I got a one-way ticket and a train pass, and I set up a couple months worth of shows in Europe, traveling around by train by myself. And th when I scheduled it so that the train pass would run out, when I was in Norway at the at the end of the train line at, in the north, like above the Arctic Circle, okay. and I s asked the person who set up the show there for me, this young punk teenager, can I stay at your house until I find my own place? And, and he said yes, and that's what we did. Had your previous re releases or what have you, did that help you be able to set that tour up, or was this kind of... Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was all... <clears throat> I mean, it's all it's part weird of the to try and reminisce because the internet existed, but not in the way that it does now. And it's hard to like summon it to memory what it was like. Because if I'm sitting here thinking about it, I remember having this whole system in my notebooks where I had everyone, everyone who could maybe set up a show organized by place and the system of notation written in pen in my notebook and like always talking about. Do you know anyone in Sweden? Oh, no, but my roommate does. Well, what's your roommate's number? It's just super tactile. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Now, Which I don't... It's not hard to imagine, because if you, this is radio, you can't see it. But if you could see it, uh, Phil has a sheet of lyrics here for when he's going to do microphones in 2020 in a little bit, because yeah. it's such a long song. But it's... Um, one, it's like an old timey scroll. Almost. I also still have notebooks like that. I, I mean, that's just, I'm, I guess, old now. So I come <laughs> from the, the time where Doug is old. I, ideas happen physically. <laughs> but yeah, the, the question of like, how did I end up in Norway or yeah. how did I get in touch with this punk te teenager in Buddha, Norway? Uh, somebody that was like at the merch table at one of my, at like a show in Philadelphia knew this guy from a hardcore band who blah, 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 blah. It was very just feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know what it's like. So you get there and you find your place. Yeah. And again, I'm going to tell you what I think I know and you okay. can set me straight. Okay. Uh -huh. And, um, and maybe at some point in here, we'll play a song that reminds you of this time period too. But, um, my perspective on it is that you went, secluded yourself, and came out with, you know, a masterpiece. I'll put it that way. You know, you came hmm. out, and here was this thing. Yeah, well, I did seclude myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I did write a lot of songs there, and they were ended up later coming out as an album called Dawn. Um, but the yeah no it's no masterpiece I don't know it's okay well I don't, no no but um, putting to the side the you know the adjective let's say you was the objective to seclude yourself yeah. so that you would come out with a bunch of songs ideally no no I, the objective was to seclude myself. With no objective, with no goal, with okay. no, not, yeah, I just wanted to live in this beautiful place and see what it was like and read books and gather firewood. And I, 
I knew that that wasn't going to be my home forever because mm. I was just renting these people's vacation cabin and they wanted it back by Easter. And so it had a deadline on it. Also, I sort of knew uh, Norway is not my forever home. <clears throat> Nobody at the shows I played accepted my marriage proposals. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I just, yeah, it just sunk in. It's like I, I missed the Pacific Northwest. I missed Anacortes. I, I knew I was done with Olympia, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I eventually left there and slowly toured my way back through Europe, through across the United States. I had left my car parked in New Hampshire, so I had to go get that. And then mm-hmm. Brett and Carl flew out and we, did a D plus tour in the Northeast and then they flew home and I drove back. Okay. I remember, yeah, driving back across highway 20 to my parents' house. I bet with, that felt good. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I just like breathing the air over the mountain pass. I was like, oh, concrete, ah, oh, new <laughs> Halem. Like, yeah, I was looking for property. I just wanted to like settle deeply. I had very scraggly hair that I hadn't cut all winter and, I remember cutting it like ceremonially once I got to my parents' house. So that would have been summer 2003. And by then, What the Heck Fest was happening. And the Department of Safety was happening. And Anacortes was like popping off. Okay, hold tight there. (laughs) Um, I want to, I have another question about Norway and then maybe that track. But um, was the photography also a thing that happened? During that time? Photography was just always happening. It was always a part Since, of Since like working at the dark room of the business in high school, I just always had a camera and and lots of weird old expired film that the business always just had. And yeah, it's always taken lots of pictures. It's always been a part of it. Okay. Because that also, I don't, I don't have it right in front of me, but you released a set of that, right? Is that... Yeah. I, um, well, I really, yeah, there was a book from that, specifically about that Norway time that was a journal. It was all the the journal I wrote while I was going crazy talking to myself <laughs> for those months of the dark winter. But uh, no, I've also released a few photo books. Yeah. A couple, two. About to release a third one. You are? Yeah. Oh, when will that come out? Um, a month or so from now. Oh, really? Just yeah. about to? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. It's, uh, yeah. It's a photo book of my new album. Of, yeah. Anyway, I should have brought a copy to show you. Yeah. It's, a, been good. it's an audio medium. <laughs> that's really cool. Okay, well, um, let's hear, what song did you pick? There's a song called Great Ghosts that I wrote while I was losing my mind in Arctic Norway. Hold on, don't push play yet. You've uh, you've said that a couple times. I really want to know, like, <laughs> w- did you... I mean, when you seclude yourself like that and you really spend time with yourself, you definitely, at a minimum, you learn about yourself. Yeah. Um, was that difficult? Yeah, but in a, a, the best way. I mean, I say losing my mind in a good way. Like, I wanted to lose it. I wanted to get rid of it and just like, you know, start over. Cl- gotcha. Cleanse in a cleansing way. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Living in X 
But first of all, your full name is Philip Whitman Elvram. That's my legal name. Yeah, your legal name is uh, is Whitman Walt. It is. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, let's talk about your spelling change of your <laughs> name. Okay. Uh, Elvrum. L e l v e r u m is the Norwegian spelling. There's a town in Norway, small city called mm-hmm. Elfram. And it's, yeah, one of those like immigration stories where at some point right. in the family history, somebody removed one of the E's, Americanized it. And I, I don't know, for no concrete reason, put yeah. the E back in there. I, during that winter that I was living in Norway, maybe because I just wanted to stop having to explain it to people. Sure. <laughs> and it, I like the idea of doing things the old-fashioned way, maybe. Mm-hmm. And also, Kurt Cobain changed the spelling of Kurt Cobain just constantly, which I always thought was cool to mess with people. 
Is that right? I didn't know that. Kurt Cobain. Yeah, <laughs> so many different. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well. Uh, yeah, there I you guess. Go. Changing my band name too. Yeah, it's. I like. I guess uh, trying to undermine fixation on a title. Expectation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right about then, so you come back, and is that when? Yeah, I was like playing shows as. Mount Erie, although there was a long period where the posters would say Mount Erie slash the microphones or, yeah. Um, yeah. Promoter decision. <laughs> yeah, okay. and that's fine. I mean, even now, 17 sure. years later, people in interviews are still like, so why did you change your band name? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you're like, just read the press release that I sent over. Yeah, or get over Like, how yeah. much time has to pass? It's just yeah. a name. I'm going to change it again. Just to- I might. I mean, I kind of did. I just put out a microphones album, so I'm not helping. I'm making it worse for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Which, just to to jump to that for two seconds, the at least what I've read, you can confirm or deny, is just that that kind of happened accidentally. Not the putting out of the record, but that happened because of the show that was going to go at the Croatian. Is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story is, Brett. So. If listeners to this show don't know, we put on a festival called What the Heck Fest from 2002 to something, 10 of them, and then another. Yeah, anyway, we did all these shows, these summer festivals in July. And then last summer, Brett just out of nowhere was like, I had a dream that we were playing a show at the Croatian Club, and it was so fun. All our friends were there. And it just seemed like, let's do it again, just for fun, low stakes, not a huge festival, just one show. And let's just use the same lineup that we had that first year. And we did. I mean, not everyone. We got most of the people back. And mm-hmm. because that first year, it was the microphones playing. That's just what I put on the poster. No thought went into it. But then after that announcement, different internet music things were like the microphones is playing a show what does it mean what what is the reunion da 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 and I just um, I actually hadn't thought it through so Mm -hmm. I ended up making this very long song about what it could mean which we're going to hear here in a a little while and that'll be fun but you didn't did you play this album? Did you play that song that night also? This song? Yeah an early version of it it was Mm -hmm. only about 20 minutes long at that point (laughs) And I wasn't quite finished. But yeah, that was the goal. I thought I didn't want to play a microphone set that is all this old, nostalgic, backwards-looking music. I wanted to. And I also didn't want to play recent songs that I had already released under this Mount Erie. I just wanted to make a new thing. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be meta and self-referential. And I just felt like potent territory, philosophically and artistically. And I... That's the point I started writing from. Gotcha. Perfect. Here's one other question that's, again, just sort of not related to anything, but um, uh, Carl and D-plus and Brett, what's your, how did you and Carl first meet, um, you know? When I worked at the business in high school, well, I knew Carl because he was in Captain Fathom and... I was in Newbert Circus and Tugboat, and so we played shows together. And I knew Jake as a kid. And anyway, uh-huh. <clears throat> right. Carl was just like one one of the music people in Skagit Valley. Gotcha. And, and a, a noticeable one. 
charismatic and just like very, very Carl Blau. There you go. And, but yeah, the signature memory is working at the business and Carl walked in one day with a canvas like duffel bag full of cassettes and a four track and no shoes and was just like, hey, uh, do you have an outlet I could use for a few hours? And he (laughs) set up in the back room. He just needed electricity and he set up in the back room and was four track recording back there in the back of the store. And at the end of the day, handed me a tape of what he had made. And it was amazing. It was like I th- Blue Nomad. It was one of his early yeah. tapes. And it was so good. And it really uh, opened my world, the possibilities of recording. And just like, he didn't even have instruments. He was somehow just doing it with like books, a chair, his mouth on the microphone. It was incredible. It was a wizard. That's really, that's cool. And then whatever, some time later yeah so brett so carl started being around more and we used to do a lot of shows at the business and he would play brett had a band d plus already with different people in it rich Mm -hmm. paprits and denise was in it and the first version of d plus that carl and i played in rich also played guitar for the first seven inch but yeah that's how that came around is Brett, or Carl and I were just lingering around and Brett uh, asked us to play with him on his songs. Gotcha. Okay, that's super cool. So, um, okay, so you're, you're pulling back. We're going to go back where we were. So you're pulling back into town. You've done Norway. You've toured Europe. You did some D-plus shows or a D-plus show. I didn't quite catch that. Lots of tours. Okay. Well, yes, but what I mean is you land back on our so- oh, soil, oh right, yeah, and yeah. then the guys come out, and you do a show, or no? We did tour? a short, like a week or ten days okay. in the Northeast, college shows and stuff. That was, I think, May two thousand three. Okay, and so now you're back home, and yep. what's uh, that would have been the second what the heck fest. Okay. I, there was a July two thousand two was the first one, and I remember meeting Alex and Flint, who started the Department of Safety at that first one and being like, these guys are renting out the police station. What? Good luck. I'm going to Norway. <laughs> and then I came back a year later and they had done it. And this thing was already happening. And I had been hearing like, Oh, Phil, you're not going to believe what's happening. It was like this kind of musical Renaissance thing was happening. And it was already sort of on the touring circuit for national acts. It was crazy. It seemed like, yeah, it, it seemed like something really special was happening here. Plus, the summer festival was exciting and sort of taking off. And so I came back and went all in. Just mm-hmm. And then I met Genevieve that same summer and we fell in, fell in love and like got married and we were... Can, can we just talk about that for one sec? How did sure, the, yeah. How did the falling in love sort of happen? It was almost <laughs> like preordained. I started hearing about her through Brett and Carl and Kyle Field. They... It was when I was in Norway, I just was emailing and like writing letters. Was she letters. already coming down here? She you? lived in Victoria. So she was like the, what we call the pumper in Victoria. She was the one setting up shows. Ah. Pumper is an industry term okay. that, I, that I've coined. Um, <laughs> like talker. Yeah. But yeah, so she was the person in Victoria setting, bringing bands. I think Carl and Brett went over there and played as D minus without me. Um, <laughs> and actually... My parents somehow were there. They met her before I met her. My parents were at a show in Vancouver. Anyway, all these people around me met her, and they were all like, Phil, wait till you meet this person. It was almost like 
Yeah, we. They knew we would like each other, and, and they were right. And they were right, and we did. And we had been talking on the phone and corresponding. Met at City Anacorta City Hall basement at What the Heck Fest. That's like the first time wow. we actually like were in the same place as each other. Because she came over for that second What the Heck Fest, 2003. Not the year you did like no flashlight down there. No, that would have been a couple years later. Okay, okay. But which, by the way, is my very favorite Heck Fest show and oh, my very favorite of your shows thanks. that I've ever seen. That was thanks. Uh, yeah, that yeah, evening was with Carl and destroyed Adrian. me. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So anyway, that that's okay. how Shenviev came to be here. Did you a little bit in Victoria? Or oh did no! You immediately, just kind of. Well, like- no, that was the plan. We were going to move to Canada because it was George W. Bush time, and it seemed like people were <laughs> that's a good time. people were into leaving America if they could. Yeah, we we go through that about once every <laughs> every four years. So, um, yeah. Um, e- yeah. What well, we know, we we just lived here. We couldn't figure out where to move, and not so bad here. Not so bad here. I have some friends in Texas that uh, I told them that if, if uh, you know, if the orange guy wins, they can come up here and we can get him a boat out of town, even, yeah. if, <laughs> even yeah. if the border won't let him pass. Smuggle them by night. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh Vieve comes down here with you. Obviously, she becomes a, a huge part of the... Um, you know, of the um, fabric here. Uh, we've, you know, we've we've done some stuff to commemorate her passing, some of her uh, music. I don't want to dwell too much on that because it's a fact, but it's not super fun. Um, but I do want to ask you um, a couple things related. So it's gonna we're gonna go off the track a little bit. The first thing is. Um, is it correct that you are maybe putting together some of her unpublished art? Yeah, to- yeah, yeah. I've been working on this book. She she left behind a lot of artwork. She was um, very productive. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both we were we just were like workers. We, our house was a workhouse, yeah. and music and visual art and all kinds of stuff. So she had a lot of ideas and a lot of them didn't get finished or like made public. Mm-hmm. It's been really gratifying to go through it and make this art book. Yeah. If they're unfinished, does that mean, do you have to do anything to them? I'm or into do the idea of publishing step? unfinished sketches. I think they look cool and beautiful. Okay. She probably would hate it, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I personally think they look amazing. Gotcha. Okay. And then of course you have, uh, your daughter, Agat. Yep. And who is five now? She's five. Yeah. Five and a half. Okay. And, um, she is what, uh, I mean, she's into some music. We were talking about her love of Dolly Parton. She lately. Yeah. This week it's Dolly Parton. She's super musical. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Would you call her, um, an introvert or an extrovert? <laughs> what kind of she's person is an she? extrovert. Uh huh. Like she's so loud. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, she has to. I'm sure she kind of has to balance things out a little bit. Sometimes. Yeah, she crushes me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the two of you live on Orcas. That's yep. the current situation. Uh huh. And uh, and I guess plans to be the super long term situation. Yeah, I'm gonna die there. Okay. Good. <laughs> Uh, I mean, not good, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, hopefully um, a long time from now. Yeah, 
You're are you building a house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, building a house there. Are you involved with the actual? Yeah, you know, doing it. Also, do I understand the words in that way? You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm not as involved as I would like to be, but I just can't. I like I'm a single parent, so yeah, of course I. And also, I don't know how to build a house, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that that can get in the way yeah. of building a house. But yeah, no, I I go there every other day or so, and okay. just, um, yeah, um, I do certain parts. There are certain like aspects of the project that I mm-hmm. have reserved for myself. Okay, and that uh, when do you think the house will be? Like, when do you get to move in? I don't know. Oh, okay, I, it's a yeah, project. It just takes forever. Certainly, next year sometime. Oh man, that's so sweet. Does she like orcas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can I mean, she have friends? Can she do that kind of thing? Yeah, she the goes. There's, she goes to a little preschool, and they yeah. get to go to it. Actually, okay. it's all outside. It's okay. idyllic. Really, okay. Honestly, we're so lucky. Okay. And um, uh, just this is the last thing I really want to touch on with this, and then we can move on. Um, for a minute, you guys moved to New York. You had that thing happen there for a for a minute. We <laughs> had a weird time there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly I'm just interested in how she, as a youngster, sort of dealt with that. Like you had to deal with your own up and down of that, uh, mm-hmm. of your, of your time there. But was she, was she insulated from that because of her age or sort yeah. of the opposite, you know? I, it kind of remains to be seen. I think kids are more uh, adaptable in general and she's had so many crazy things happen in her short life yeah. that I think she maybe is more adaptable than the average kid yeah but yeah she brings it up sometimes and it so it's sort of like kind of still fermenting still mm-hmm. percolating in right. in her and i think she's probably doing better about it than me okay <laughs> i'm doing fine but yeah yeah it was she's pretty good at going with the flow Good. Fortunately. Good. Okay. Okay. Um, let's go back to where we were, and let's play uh, maybe um, some music that sort of comes to mind. I didn't give you any warning on that, so you know, take a sec if you want to. But we're in this period of time where you're starting to be Mount Erie <clears throat> in a public fashion. Yeah. Um, no flashlight came out in 2005. Here's a, a question as you're getting there. You release this album as the microphones. It is the microphones or is it <laughs> microphones? That's that's a tricky one. I, <laughs> okay. I think I like the microphones better, but it's possible that I maybe have listed it as microphones. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, okay. Also, like in this weird digital world, some digital aggregators just automatically remove the the or it's you know like formatting is so confusing this is too specific for anyone to care but yeah it's that word the is tricky i don't care too much about it the determiner is interesting and as two kind of industry heads i i actually find it kind of interesting i remember going to conferences where there were lots of discussions (laughs) about what was the standard going to be and it's just kind of like I mean, it has to be decided. If it's a person, do you go by their last name? This whole thing, yeah. exactly. But um, but to get where I wanted to go, so you release an album, Mount Erie. I think I understand some of the inspiration for that, though you did a little bit of wordplay with the, with the oh, spelling. Oh, I added an E to, yeah. to that eerie word as well. Yeah, because, well, it, eerie with two E's means something else. Yeah. 
But then you decide at some point from, I don't know, from Norway on to when you come back, you're now in a different phase and yeah. the moniker you particularly are going to take is the name of the last album. Yeah. Or maybe this is, you know, somewhat more thought out. Maybe you knew when the album came out. You wanna- No, I didn't know. I, I did know that the name the microphones was starting to feel irrelevant. It wasn't, I was no longer singing about recording equipment and, uh, the name Mount Erie felt potent still to me. And I felt like that album I made, I didn't really get to the bottom of it. I, I, it felt unresolved to me. And so I felt like, oh, I'll just move all the way and I'll inhabit the idea completely. Plus, that coincided with me sort of wanting to leave Olympia and Norway and come like resettle in Anacortes in a more permanent way. And I liked the idea of linking my life's work to this iconic lump of rock in the middle of this place. And I was really discovering this ancient Chinese poet named Han Shan, Cold Mountain, who named himself after the mountain where he lived. And it was just like, I felt like it was part of a tradition of a poet or artist or whatever, naming themselves after like subsuming their humanity to their location, which I I liked the idea of erasing myself. That's, that's an interesting tidbit. I definitely did not know that. Um, Okay. We're going to play a track. Will you introduce it? And then we're going to, it's on the first official Mount Erie album called no flashlight. The song's called no inside, no out. Because the pupil of my eye is a hole There's no inside and there's no out The world isn't me and I am in the world to Mount Yuri talk. <laughs> All right. In just a little bit here, I mean, just around the corner, um, we're going to stop talking for a while and Phil's going to gonna play the new album, the new meditation, the, the self-interview. Could I be heard over that? Not that that was fascinating what I was saying, but okay, we're going to be back because I want you to, to know you're going to get Phil... Uh, musically here in a minute. I have a couple random things. First of all, tell me about the band Peace. (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I released this CDR on my label. These five dudes from Kamloops, Tyler, Scooter, I don't even remember all their names. Uh, the disaster. How did you, well, I mean, the reason this has really come up right now is that last month we had Clyde on mm-hmm. and boating with Clyde took that song uh, or one oh, of right, song, yeah. summertime, right? Summer, yeah. Yeah, boating. <clears throat> so, yeah. um, yeah, Clyde said to, to, to ask, ask me about the background. Yeah. Oof, because I don't have... you kind of pass it out without sort of telling people I about it? I tried to sell it on my website. Um, it's just alienating and <laughs> aggressive and I, I widely suggest, disliked. <laughs> I suggest to everybody listening to go to Bandcamp, and even if this is one that you don't want to buy, go buy something else that Phil uh, released, but <laughs> at least stream it and, and listen. And uh, I think the album might be called On Earth. Do yeah, I? yeah, get it? Peace on Earth. Oh, I did not. Super clever. <laughs> That's good. All right. Um, let's see what else here. I want to, we've touched on your recording process, but I want to get you to break it down just a little bit. And, um, you know, analog, fair to say, is that still? I'm going back to it now. Uh, there. Uh, yeah, it was always analog, starting at the business in Dub Narcotic and then coming back from Norway, not living in Olympia anymore, I needed a way to record, and so I got a, an 8-track for myself and had sort of a mobile... Like that song we just played, I recorded yeah. it upstairs from... Uh, right there. I uh-huh. recorded it ab- above... Like in Doug's old studio? Um, not same building, down the, the hall. Okay. Down the hall, yeah. Um, above mm-hmm. Levian Rose, which... It's not that anymore. No. What is it? Star, yeah. uh, star, it's not a star bar. It's some <laughs> um, Mexican place All now, these right? places. Yeah. Yeah. It has a cool looking bar in the Frida's. Bar. No, it's not Frida's. In, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, in that building. That's where I recorded. We had a studio in there. in Robert Sun's old studio. Oh, oh that's cool. Or one of them. Yeah, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, I had this analog stuff that just moves around. In the studio, I just call it Nowhere. So, I just put recorded Nowhere. And it, that's still where I record. I started using a computer f- uh, at A Crow Looked At Me. So that's 2016. Mm-hmm. I, st- I recorded on the laptop with one microphone just for like simplicity's sake. Yeah. I couldn't afford the time of um, going to the unknown. Not not financially, but I just mean... The like emotional I, Single space. parent time. Right. Like I didn't oh, okay. have... I had to be able to go to a room in my house yeah. and record after I got went to sleep. Okay, right. That album in particular is is you know quite um, I don't know emotionally bearing maybe is the way to put it. It's yes, that's true. Certainly about a um, the difficulty the post Jeanvier passing. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's a it's a heavy one. I'm curious about this. <clears throat> you know, you, you are a pretty private person. I. Th- think of you as at least you know and yet you know you've had these uh you've had some events in your life the divorce from michelle and the um passing of jean among the fact that you also have quite a hope uh, a high profile as 
yourself. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that is out in front of people. While at the same time, you know, you're a real nice person and easy to get along with and all of that. But you're, I think of you at least as kind of keeping yourself homebody a little bit out yeah. of the. It's how, true. How do you square yeah, those? I know that's a good question. It's a it's a strange contradiction that sums me up. I think because I yeah I make this these songs where I'm kind of like mining the events of my life or like the feelings of them and trying to mixing metaphors here, but like distill them into something poetic or useful or powerful. But that's different than, I don't know, like going on Facebook and like writing writing an essay about what I did that day. Mm -hmm. I'm not social in that way. My natural state is to keep to myself. So I don't know how to square those things other than to say that, yeah, I'm contradictory. That's <laughs> You're a human with two sides, right? Yeah. Uh, are you a Gemini, maybe? <laughs> I am, actually. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. I guess we got there. Are you too, K-Dog? No, of course. Oh, I should have known that. Okay. As is my wife, Jana. Um, well, maybe the space, you know, within the walls, metaphorically, gives you the ability to throw it out there because you're then... You don't have to walk right out and, yeah. you know, be in like, the middle of it. I close my eyes when I'm playing a show. Mm. That kind of sums it up, I think. Like, I'm I'm like, I go inward even though I must ag- admit to myself that there are, like, hundreds of people staring at me. Yeah. I, f- like, forcibly ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> Which they all appreciate. <laughs> um, and one more thing on this line of, thought is that you you're very prolific you've released a lot of stuff and there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been released we were talking a little bit before the show that that might that's kind of something you're mining right now mm-hmm. going back through archives and oh right yeah things of this sort mm-hmm. so there's a lot of material that's not out there but um i don't get the impression in Again, correct me, but I don't get the impression that you necessarily approach recording in the way that, say, Carl has always talked about that, like, he, you know, it's like, write the song, put it down, record it, move on, mm-hmm. and that's it. You kind of got the one you got right First then. First thought, best I think, thought. Right. That, that attitude. Whereas yeah. I think of you as a bit more methodical in your I, process. Is that right or Well, not? S- sometimes I'm that way and sometimes I'm not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that. Gemini. <laughs> yeah, I love the first thought, best thought thing too. And I think that magic happens in that way. And definitely I see the dangers in getting too hung up on trying to per- pursue perfection. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's a trap creatively. So, but yeah, I'm not as extreme as Carl about it. <laughs> well. <laughs> if you're listening right now, Carl, we love you, but no one is as extreme as Carl. Yeah, the extremist. A host of a host of subjects. Um, okay, I really just have one more subject. We can obviously talk about anything else, but I think that after this, um, I'd love to encourage you to pick up your guitar and, and play. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about K Records. Um K Records has such an incredible, look, speak of Gemini, you know, there are two really clear public sides of 
K's history also. Mm-hmm. It's done a huge thing for independence, uh, independent-minded artists. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Calvin and going that direction. Also, early in the time that I moved here, um, I remember having some conversations with uh, Carl in particular, but some other people, and appreciating that everything was a handshake, but trying to understand how that translated into, um, how, you know, it's so hard to make a living as an artist and how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And then it became very public that there were at least some difficulties in the economics of K. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not asking you to bash anybody or to say beautiful things. I'm just curious what your experience was and how you worked through that and came out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've heard of any like punk labels or independent music labels that do it right. Do it well. I think the trade off to like, it kind of has to be informal and handshakey. If people were in it pursuing organized profit first, then that kills the special thing in a way, or it, it makes it into something that it just isn't. And that, that's not that that's not a valid path to pursue, but it's just that's not what this uh, idealistic countercultural movement is about. <laughs> and so that's the trade off. Yeah. It maybe you don't get handed the key to the studio if you're looking it, at. Yeah. It's a tough one mm. to discover that there is money that y- you deserve that hasn't been um, given to you and is it no longer exists, <laughs> has been yeah. spent. That's harsh. And especially when you don't get told the truth or, yeah, it, there are, the way that money and friendships and emotions intersect is just never goes well. Right. But also, it needs to happen sometimes. I mean, friends should make art projects together, and sometimes art is commodified, and that needs to be allowed to be part of it. And I don't know what the good way to do it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe I so much don't know what the good way to do it is that I've like moved away from working with other people in every possible way, and I just like yeah. release my own records, and I do as much as I can on my own. It's not... It's not out of emotional, or I mean, economic uh, fussiness. I'm rambling, but... Well, no, I don't think you are. I mean, it, maybe it's not primarily driven by finances, even if that's a side benefit, but maybe, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, I'm just trying to help this along a little bit. Perhaps it um, allows you to remove that emotional hurdle. Yeah, and... And I enjoy it. Like I, I love being involved in all, all the details, and and also I'm not working alone now. I work with Nick and Evie, and right. Like intimately, and they do so much for me, and I, it's harmonious. Actually, they're an example of a punk business that does do it right. I, Correct. I, I, yeah, they're amazing, and so, uh, yeah, I I don't want to talk shit about K because. I, I remain like the economic sloppiness that has gone on mm-hmm. 
is um, harsh, but I also remain so grateful for the doors that opened. Calvin handing me a key and giving, like when I said earlier, talking about the Dub Narcotics Studio in the big room and half pipe and wicker chairs and all that. And I said, oh, there was no money coming in or going out. The truth is there was money going out. Calvin was paying for it and not charging us to be in there using that space. And it felt magical because of that. And so that's the price of that utopian feeling is the economic sloppiness and the ambiguity and the conversations that weren't happening. And if Calvin were to like come into the room and say, listen up, dweebs, (laughs) (laughs) time to pay the piper. (laughs) Uh, that would have it would have ruined the vibe. So, yeah. okay, yeah, that's how it goes. Um, at the same time, uh, it, l- later it, you discover what the money situation is, and it just doesn't feel good. No, but I feel fortunate that mm-hmm. I've preserved my friendships, and it's just money. Yeah, and it's never been about that, and I'm not starving. Right. Well, that all makes sense, and certainly not to equate these two things, but to draw a little bit of a comparison at a very high level. You know, it's kind of like when you find out that an artist you love is a shithead, Uh and you're like, you know, hopefully you can still appreciate the art. Like, you know, maybe Bill Cosby is still funny, but he's a fucking rapist, and we can't, you know, abide that. Right. So... You know, again, please be make sure you heard that. I am not in any way equating the, the <laughs> oh, depths no. of those two things by any stretch. I was just, it was an easy example. Um, okay, so uh, the final question that kind of goes down this, lay, this way is that, so then you leave K, do you immediately start, I, I kind of touched on this earlier, maybe you said there was a little overlap, but P.W. Elvram and Son... <laughs> you start because you see that you're going to want to do this on your own regardless, not to say it's related to, you know, royalties or something, whatever, but at the time it was 2004 at the time, what I told myself and other people was that it was because I wanted to do weirder, um, packaging ideas. I wanted to make smaller run vinyl releases and silk screen them on recycled inside out record jacket. I wanted to do weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, also I wanted to do, I don't know, unusual packaging things that K I just didn't want the production person who worked at K that month to be in (laughs) charge of, of these aesthetic decisions and like probably get it wrong. Cause that did happen a lot. And, for somebody like me who's focused on the packaging details and notices them, I, I, uh, it's frustrating to care, to care about something that somebody else doesn't care about. So yeah, that's what I told myself. Although I also quietly saw that the sustainability of my life in music kind of hinged on me routing the money towards myself and they just didn't seem worth it to me to, um, give them, half or all of my money. Yeah. Half in in words, but functionally all. Right. Well, I think you made a very smart, looking at the arc of your life, that was a smart decision, regardless of K. Since 2004, and the the way the internet has grown up, record labels have become kind of obsolete as an institution. Yeah. 
for a lot of people, although it's not for everyone to do this hustling, packaging, graphic design work that is a big part of releasing something. I happen to like it, but not everyone does. Lots of people just want to write songs and record them. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Speaking of which, let's let's shift towards music. So what's going to happen here is that um, uh, the Phil's going to play microphones in 2020, perhaps not exactly the exact thing you will hear when you listen to your own record at home because there are some... I'm going to try and play the whole thing. Awesome. But yeah, there's a... I might, you, I might have to um, wrestle around my lyric sheet here. It's pretty long and it doesn't all drape over the chair at the same time, but... If you look at the show chime next month, you might see a picture of what we're talking about because I'm going to take a picture of him while he's in process. Um, but I'm going to stop talking and we're going to have some music now. Oh! It's a party. Now I got it. Moment tries 
kind of empty wind when they soared far weightless in the bamboo with the purity of heart that transcends gravity leaping off the mountain into ambiguity falling slow
first I called my recordings a different name I called it the microphones on the third cassette I made Because I loved recording and the equipment seemed to be living And it sang to me like static interference from the small AM radio station down the street Night in Anacortes in the mid-90s Oil tankers rumbling I stayed late recording every night Then I drove back to my parents' house My headlights through the trees along Heart Lake Road Winding down the dark slope Beneath Mount Erie I was already who I am A bottle of India ink Masking tape Julie Duaron, Tori Amos Cranberries, Sinead O'Connor Eric Strip, Red House Painters, Sonic Youth, This Mortal Coil. Kurt Cobain had died. I had my driver's license and a girlfriend, and we'd cling to each other and dream that anything is permanent. Even back then, the beast of uninvited change insisted itself in. And look, here it still hangs But when I was young I'd go driving in the rain I saw Stereolab in Bellingham And they played one chord for 15 minutes Something in me shifted I brought back home belief I could create eternity Leaning the guitar up on the amp Taping down organ keys Feeding back forever Distorted waves of symbols oceany Slowly starting to try to move the words Beyond mere melancholy Into something that rings That rings true and old Hopefully, but when I was 17 I sang in the moment Heard romantically grasping in the dark Like shadows of the moon On the back of the car seat Where she sat once it's not that bad, but I know I wanted to go deeper beneath pain, beneath the human. Is it because my parents barely had any money? Preferred to leave the baby in the garden That I grew up to blur the boundary between myself and the actual
usual churning dirt of this place That it feels normal to me to speak with the voice of weather To build and then move into a mirage Made of songs cascading down a rock face In a homemade myth Back into the mist When I was 12 or 13 On a family trip We hiked down a steep bluff To an ocean beach in whipping rain My little brother's clothes got wet From playing in the winter waves My parents made a fire Of smoky driftwood And we huddled in And took his wet clothes off And held him Above the flames Smelling like smoke and salt On the drive home Surely this experience Explains something About whoever it was That sang all these songs When you're younger Every single thing Vibrates with significance Gazing at the details in the artwork of a seven-inch Devouring every word in a zine There was barely internet Because meaning gets attributed wherever appetite bestows A thing with resonating, glowing, ringing out through a life And what from these times do I carry with me still The things I survive Return repeatedly I find again that I Am a newborn every time Things I wanted to communicate had to do with finding
seeing only the inside of reflected ocean on the sky It was early 2001 and I was almost 23 I'd finished recording The Glow Part 2 And I was either always on tour or setting up a tour Always running voracious thirsty I'd go out to the lake with friends Swim out to the middle And dive as far as I could Down to where the water gets cold With open eyes We'd go up on the roof at night And actually contemplate the moon My friends and I Trying to blow each other's minds Just laying there gazing young ridiculous and we meant it our eyes watering the moon without abstraction became a floating ball of rock in outer space not a sticker or a light or a hole through black paper we were making food and records and paintings and walking around beneath a real infinity shock of looking into outer space and seeing just for a second the bottomless distance pressed against my face my little mind trying to write it down zooming out a faint yelp lost in a thunderstorm sufficiently small thinking on the geologic scale making the voice of mountains Reaching beyond my old concerns From when I was 17 In 1995 All the layers of light Glint in my flashing eyes Simultaneously Stop in northern Italy I was on tour playing drums 
And always wandering off alone Squinting into the setting sun My notebook filling I was touring, living on an alternate plane Within but set apart from this life Where people wake and work And don't self-uproot each day Instead we pass through the towns like criminals I was so glad to be included in this rare world This moving cult of groundlessness Roomless, moving, awake And in that parking lot Recognition of the same Another touring American band Bonnie Prince Billy Dressed in matching tracksuits and sunglasses Grizzled and silly A kind of Italian tour costume Blending in, but not really And they had a playfulness with persona And it liberated me with its permeability I thought, who is Edie Veen that sings And who comes to life between the ears of the hearers at night and how can we all get deeper the packaging distracts from the nourishment it wraps fixation on the singer's face or on the band's name keeps us groveling and blind at the edge of a sea Submerged in the singing waterfall Looking for a door into the mansion Taking this weird art project out into public Indulging in cultivated ambiguity About participants' identities Letting misperceptions hang Because nothing's really true With this imagined collective called the microphones I wrote about climbing up and dying And flying off as vultures And a universe beyond of the real air of death that awaited me down the path At the very end of 2002 I took the microphone's name and crumpled it up and burned it in a cave on the frozen edge of northern Norway I made a boundary gesture and making chaos seem organized the roaring river carves on laughing at my efforts meanwhile the idea of something called Mount Erie engulfed me and time refuses to stop
freezing moon by mayhem And these words jumped out The cemetery lights up again Eternity opens And I say nothing stays the same No one knows anything Someone else now lives in the house I used to live in And soon it will be torn down or burned And who would even want to live in a prolonged stagnation? I am older now and I no longer feel the same way did even five seconds ago Watch me thrash around And try to gracefully allow the past To hang like it's no big deal Bands that break up Who then reunite for money Can do whatever they want But it makes me glad that I am only This one contrary grump to reunite life The present moment burns I will never stop singing this song It goes on forever I loved Weird Al when I was a little kid Still want to treat it lightly This luxurious privilege to sit around Frowning and wondering what it means Playing with words And trying to prove that names mean nothing They're just a finger Pointed at the moon Mistaken For something shining and true I'd still be sitting here at 41 Trying to breathe calmly through the waves But nothing's really changed In this effort that never ends When I took my shirt off Still off. I'm still standing in the weather looking for meaning in the giant meaningless days of love and loss, repeatedly water falling down. And the sun relentlessly rises. like I'll never not lose wisdom.
constantly relearning all the basics Never recognizing any faces Crawling out from under living layers Squinting in the light of earth, bathing Shaking off the weight of expectations Plus, all this nostalgia is embarrassing So I walk into an unknown room Without a name So what if I label this song Microphones in 2020 I hope the absurdity that permeates everything Joyfully rushes out and floods the room Like water from the ceiling Undermining all of our delicate stabilities Admitting that each moment is a new collapsing building Nothing is true But this trembling Laughing in the wind Anyway, every song I've ever sung Is about the same thing Standing on the ground, looking around, basically If there have to be words, they could just be Now only And there's no end Mr. Phil Elvram, he was already who he was. He deserves a little glass of water and a minute off. <laughs> Phil, thank you so much. That's, uh, that's, that's long and beautiful and powerful. and um, I've never played the whole thing before. Really? Not all at once, no. Oh, man. Thank you so much for doing that here with us. I did it, yeah. Yeah, I'm proud of you. You'll, I don't. I think you only looked over there once or twice, man. That's impressive. I may have forgotten a word or two, but yeah. <laughs> you were pretty impressive with uh, Doug. Did you find that impressive, the way he used his foot to yeah. kind of... It was, <laughs> it was secondary. Um, wow, Phil. I, I just got to say um, thank you. Uh, obviously, tons and tons of continued... Uh, success with all your art endeavors. You have a lot of stuff coming soon, and uh, it doesn't seem like you'll be slowing down on your on your creativity. But we can sit with that one for a minute. Um, I want to thank you. Yeah, I want to say something off to the side, but that's a you know that song makes me think about it. I want to send um, 
All of Anacortis Music Project's love out to Ren. Um, you know, we all miss Della, not as much as you, but we all miss her, and y'all were really good friends of AMP, and um, that's it's it's a tragedy. But we love you and look forward to uh, seeing you again soon. Um, in December, the Anacorse Music Project is uh, putting the final touches on what is going to be a Yule Bazaar Bazaar in the live stream extravaganza fashion. Please go to anacorsemusicproject.org and put your name on our email list. That's just right up there, right, Doug? Right? Yeah, just do that. Uh, we're going to let you know what's happening or find us on Facebook and the social things and such and such. This is going to be really fun, though. So um, and that details on that will be coming soon. Um, K. Doug Cassidy, my man. Thank you, buddy. We did it again. That's the quote. I guess we're at the end of the show. Phil, love your daughter. Um, you're a good dad, too, and a, and a nice person. Thank you. I respect that. Thanks. Thank you. We'll be here next month. This is the next show. Bye-bye. And
Oh